Well, we are in part two of a series that we're calling In This Together. We're talking about these three questions specifically. The first question is, how do we grow spiritually? The second question is, how do we grow relationally? And then how do we grow missionally? And so we've been, we started this series last week by, by talking about that first question of how do we grow spiritually? What does that look like? How did God set this up in the scriptures for us? How do we see this lived out in the early church? How was this modeled by the early believers? And so as we have, as we have for a, a huge part of the last nine months, we've spent a ton of time in the book of Acts, just looking at this letter written by Luke that he interviewed and investigated and talked to those who spent real time with Jesus or those who had walked with Christ. And so Luke documents this process of how the early church was set up and how these things are accomplished, how we grow spiritually, relationally, and missionally. And so last week we learned together that spiritual growth happens best together, that there is this this common thread that we see running throughout the New Testament specifically, of togetherness, of living life together and doing the work that God has called us to do together. And so in week one, we learned that we, we need to, we should consider this, this word devotion, that we should devote ourselves to spiritual growth, but not just devoting ourselves to spiritual growth, but devoting ourselves to spiritual growth in community. That when we are in a community, when we are in a a close-knit, relational connection with other people, things happen. God knew that. That's why he set it up the way that he did. That's why we see this thread of community and togetherness all throughout the New Testament and his letters to the churches. But we learned last week that if that when we devote ourselves to spiritual growth and we devote ourselves to spiritual growth together, that we will be motivated to do some things like loving others and good deeds. That when we are devoted to those things, we, we, we grow together. When we love one another and when we do the work of the ministry, when we're not just hearers only, but we become doers, we encourage one another to do that together. We also learn that we become fully mature as we grow in togetherness. Prayer is involved. And then we grow together to encourage and build each other up. Last week we talked about the word discipleship and that, that if, if you were to Google that phrase, what, or you were to type in the question, what is discipleship, there are hundreds, thousands, and I believe even millions of different results that will come up in the Google search engine. There are a lot of people who like to define discipleship a certain way, and maybe your definition of discipleship may differ a little bit from from mine or from ours, but as a church, you have to figure out some way to define some of these things so you can strategically be on the same page, moving in one specific direction together. And so, so here's, here's kind of how we define discipleship or what it is to be a disciple here in the context of West Hill, that a disciple is just simply a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And we leave it that way because that's truly what we see modeled throughout the scriptures. 
we see the disciples being fully devoted, fully invested, and fully in with Jesus Christ. And we believe, though, that that is best cultivated, and it it flourishes through togetherness. That we grow more and more as we grow together. And the most effective way and the least complicated way we found to achieve this growth is through what we talked about last week, and that is our small groups. About eight years ago, our student ministry launched the first spiritual growth-based model of small groups in our church. And then about three and a half years ago, we launched them full church. And so our small group's ministry goal is to intentionally join in God's mission together through a devotion to God's Word and a devotion to each other. Now, it seems like we're talking a lot about groups. If you haven't noticed, we are. That is on purpose. We are talking about small groups, specifically our in-home small groups, for a reason. It's on purpose. This whole series is designed So you can understand what we believe small groups to look like here at West Hill and how we believe they will help you grow. And so that's been the goal of this series. And I've been feeling a stirring and passion, I guess, to talk about our small groups more and more. And I'm going to go so far to say that... They're, they're not just needed, they're required for believers. Now, certainly they're not required in the way that we do them here at West Hill as the only way that they can be, be done, but, and, and you're not required to be a part of our official small group ministry here either, but required to be in regular, regular relationships with others is vital. It is important. And we have to obey those commands. We can't read the same New Testament and think that spiritual growth together is optional for a believer. Now, I'm not going to answer all of the objections I've heard for not being in a small group, but I simply want you to think about this question and a few questions that I'm going to ask this morning in relation to this. That if biblical community is essential to our Christian walk, and God gives us specific instructions that we cannot obey without close relationships, things like admonishing or encouraging or carrying one another's burdens or praying for someone who is struggling, how do we do that if we're not in close enough relationships with people to accomplish it? How do we, how do we carry someone's burdens if we don't, if we don't know them? How do we help someone who is struggling with some kind of sin or admonish them if we we don't know about it? And if we're not close enough to people to know what their specific struggles are. Now, if small groups are not your thing, yet God still calls us to do this togetherness element of our spiritual walk, how will you accomplish it? A good gauge would be without a small group, you have to 
How have you done that on your own would be a good question to answer. If you're not in a small group, how have you done this togetherness with other people? How have you known these things? How have you known to encourage and admonish and bear one another's burdens? And there could be a lot of answers to that question. Some questions could be, are you discipling someone or being discipled? Are you going through the Christian life together closely with other believers? Those are some questions you could ask to to decide where you fall. But outside of an intentional small group, a few of you are absolutely doing those things. You've answered those questions with, man, I am. I'm discipling someone. I'm being discipled. And, And I am so encouraged that you are faithfully living out and fulfilling God's mission in this body of believers. But like I said last week, having to do all of that on your own, on your own time, figuring out everything on your own, it usually just doesn't end up happening. It's usually just delegated to the back of our minds, pushed to the back of our minds, or delegated to someone else. I don't have time, or I don't know what to do. And so those are some of the things that we've helped answer for you as a result of having our small group. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in two different places this morning, real close together, so you don't have to, to jump around too much. But this is our theme section, our theme set of verses this morning here in Acts 2. We're going to read these every week as we journey through this series together. And so Acts 2, and we're going to start reading together in verse 41. So Luke is writing, and he says this. He says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So I talked about this last week. Peter is preaching his, his first recorded sermon, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's a bunch of people present. There's a, there's a ton of people there from all different parts of the region. And they hear Peter's sermon, a clear gospel presentation of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is laid out. And 3,000 people give their hearts to the Savior. But it doesn't stop there. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jump ahead to chapter 4 here in Acts. Acts chapter 4, we're going to read verses 32 through 35. We're going to come back to this next week and and talk a little bit more about Acts 4 as well. But here in verse 32, some time has passed here. I don't know how much time, but a significant amount of time has passed. And Luke continues writing. He says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone 
who had need. Again, I want to simply state that we cannot read these passages and so many others in our Bibles and conclude that our spiritual growth together isn't a huge importance to God. Spiritual growth happens best together. Now, if you're in any sort of biblical small group of people, these, these next things are happening. These are, are things that matter and are and being a part of a being a part of this makes it makes it worth all of the time and effort involved. If you know, you know. So how do we experience relational growth? How do you experience relational growth? How would you answer that question if we were having a conversation today uh, around the coffee table? Is relational growth important? to you. And without a small group, specifically, do you have a plan? Do you have a process? Do you know how to grow relationally? And if spiritual growth happens best together, wouldn't that be the same for us when it comes to relational growth? I mean, if, if we clearly see that, that, we, that we, we encourage one another to love and good deeds, that we become fully mature as we, as we grow as, as the one another's, that we pray together, if we clearly see that spiritual growth is best cultivated and done through relational community or through togetherness, then wouldn't relational growth happen the same way? So are you devoted to relational growth? Our text from Acts, it describes a church that, that absolutely was. And so the first thing that we want to encourage you to do this morning is to devote yourself to growth relationally. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves. That word is really important. There is a, there is, there is a lack of devotion often in our culture. We quit so many things so quickly But it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. As I mentioned last week, they did not have a completed copy of God's Word. And they wouldn't for about 300 years. And so they they, they had to trust the apostles' teaching, the the apostles' testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what the Spirit was calling them to communicate. And so they were devoted to that teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, this word for fellowship is really important. We've referred to it a lot over the last four to five years, but it's a word that you can't skip. You can't overlook the word fellowship. Now, it just looks like the word fellowship to us as we read it in Acts chapter 2. But it's the word koinonia in the Greek, and it means more than just, hey, let's get together and have some fellowship, bro. It's a little different. It is, it is a, a community that is partnered. A community that is partnered around something specific. And in this case, this is friendship that is partnered with the gospel. This is a community and a group of people who are partnered around the message of Jesus Christ. His gospel, his hope, his love, his grace, his mercy. That's what this fellowship was. They lived in community and fellowship together. These were gospel-centered friendships and relationships. And they were focused on the mission 
of reaching people who are far from God and seeing people grow in their relationship with Christ. That's what should happen. That's what we should be desperate to see in our churches today. Now, this doesn't mean that we, that we are not intentional or extremely intentional about evangelism with developing relationships with people who, who need the gospel. Absolutely, we must develop relationships with those who don't know Christ, who do not have that relationship with Him. That's undeniable. It's an undeniable call that we cannot ignore. But we're not in koinonia with people outside of our faith system yet. This koinonia is a deep fellowship, deep relationships with people who are in our body. We aren't growing spiritually with people who are outside of our body just yet. But they have access to this fellowship because of the gospel. This true fellowship is not not just hanging out with other people. These relationships are are centered on Christ and around his mission. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But this friendship, this devotion is accomplished through love. Write this down. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in love and and honor one another above yourselves. It's a great filter for relational growth. We're to be devoted to one another through love and to extend honor to those around us. So, are you devoted to growing relationally? We see in Acts 2 and Acts 4 that we should be devoted to it. So, devote yourselves to growing relationally And then we want to encourage you to devote yourself to having one heart. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the first part says, All the believers were one in heart. Luke says, basically, this is is my my interpretation of what Luke's writing. There, there, There are thousands of people who are of one heart. 3,000 plus people are of one heart. They are not all in close relationship with each other, but as a body who the body is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his gospel, they are united in purpose. They are united in thought and they are united in action. Now, we love to read those verses like they had all things in common and mean that they agreed on everything that there was to discuss. We literally know that's impossible. There's more to the text. If you read throughout Acts, you see what, they, what the challenge was in their devotion. There was a ton of, of, of disruption in the early church about Old Testament law being connected to, to this new movement, this new covenant. And so they had all things in common when it came to the person of Jesus Christ and his gospel and his mission. And this is all led by this thing that was freaking them out, I'm sure. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what brought this unity in the early church. Their commitment to the Holy Spirit's leadership is so strong. It's so evident in the book of Acts. It's so clear throughout the New Testament that they do some crazy things. They will even combine their possessions to take care of people who are around them. 
this is, this is a group of people who truly understand what it means to have one heart. So that verse in verse 32 says, continue. So we devote ourselves to having one heart, and then we devote ourselves to having one mind. That verse finishes with, and all the believers were of one heart and mind. This is truly about unity. And as I've mentioned already this morning, this is unity around the gospel, not full agreement on all matters. Remember thousands of people in the church at this point. And with all of those humans, there's a lot of humans who have a lot of experiences. There's a lot of people that have specific backgrounds. Maybe some people in this early church had had parents who were, who were rabbis. This is a huge source of conflict in those families, as you can imagine. We know this doesn't mean that they agreed on every topic. But we do know that at this point, they had one mind, and they had one heart centered on Jesus. And if you hear nothing else this morning, that's truly the root of it all is the person of Jesus Christ. We love Jesus above all things. Or we should. So do you love him with all of your heart and with all of your mind? You see, when the Holy Spirit is is leading a group of people and they are kingdom-minded, unity is possible. Write this down. Don't turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. Ephesians 4, we've read it a lot, verses 1 through 5. Paul says these words about the issue of koinonia and unity in the church. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, he says. There is one God and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're striving for in these New Testament churches that are all throughout our country, all throughout our world today. This is the call. This is the mandate. This is the pursuit. These people pursued all of those things. They were unified around humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, but they do all of that through love. Because love is the filter. Love is the gospel. They didn't just hope those things would happen. They pursued them. There was a unity, a a, a heart, and a mind around these things. And this happens because they were unified around something that there, there was a reason to be unified about. Jesus. The gospel. Now, we also don't know every detail about what the apostles taught. We have some of the things that they said in, in, our, in our scriptures. We do know that their teaching was set apart from what, a, from what a lot of God's people were hearing from the religious leaders during that day. We have two sermons recorded by Peter outlined for us, and they're filled with this new covenant language of the gospel. 
of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of repentance and forgiveness of sins, and that's what biblical community is. And so they were devoted to those things. They were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to koinonia, to fellowship, to partnership in community. And they were, developed, they were devoted to worship. They had one heart, and they had one mind. We talked about this next one briefly last week, but we see a challenge here to devote ourselves to prayer. In Acts 1.14, it says, They devoted themselves continually to prayer. I'm so thankful to see these verses mentioned here. Prayer is, is vital in any faith community in any relationship, and in any individual's walk. Prayer is vital. You see this all throughout, as we look to Jesus and his, as, and his example specifically, Jesus made prayer a huge part of his daily rhythms while he was here on earth. He would get away from the crowds, from the noise, from all the drama, from all the chaos, from all of the work, from all of the ministry, all of the things that were good to pray, to commune with the Father, to spend time with the Father. That's how we communicate with God. It's one of the ways that we communicate with our Father is through prayer. The Bible says that we, we can take everything to Him in prayer. And he hears us. But it's not just a private thing. It's something that we do together as we are unified around the truth of the gospel. You see Jesus encouraging his disciples to, to, to wait and to pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he comes back and they, they, these dudes can't even stay awake. And he's like, can't you just watch and wait and pray for just one hour? Can you pray? And he encouraged them to pray. They even asked Jesus how to pray, and he gives them a model. Prayer is important, and prayer is vital to this togetherness that we've been talking about. This is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. You see, one of the things that's beautiful is we can share needs with one another. When there is something happening around us that we need to help someone with, we can do that together through prayer. A little technical difficulty. Hopefully that one works. But we can communicate about struggles that we have as well. And we pray about those things together. Struggling with some kind of sin or some kind of addiction, we go together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we pray about those things. And then they pray about those things privately and we pray about those things together and, and we, we are unified around that and under the Father. Not only in the moment, but it provides a way for others to follow up and keep each other in check. Accountability. So devote yourself to prayer. Prayer is a huge part of our grid for what happens inside of small groups. 
if you look at, ever look at one of, our, one of our guides that we put together, it's, it's at the top of everything that we do. It's before any discussion happens about the sermon. We, we encourage our small group leaders to direct the group to share and pray with one another. It looks different in every group, but prayer is important. You see, when we're committed to growing relationally, every need is met. So devote yourself to sharing life with others. Verse 44 and 45 of Acts 2, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In Acts 4, And there were no needy persons among them, For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, this is going to play a role in next week's message as well. But I doubt that anyone in the room is going to have to sell their homes. But what we can do regularly is what we see happening all throughout the early church. There was a devotion to generosity in the early church. That when we give financially to the church, we give out of obedience to the church. And the church, the leaders, take that money and they use it for kingdom-focused efforts. Meeting other needs. We see this happening. I, I wish... I honestly wish we had the time. Honestly, we don't have the time on a Sunday morning to go through all of the ways that we see this happening inside of our church. And what I love about this koinonia that we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and in Philippians chapters 1 and 2 and Ephesians 4 is when people are being obedient to the gospel and to the spirits leading in their lives, this isn't something that has to be delegated from the stage from a pastor. Because when we're living together in community, in koinonia, these things naturally happen. There are needs that get met inside of this church that our pastors never even hear about. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Not every need that needs met has to come through the pastors and through this stage. That's why our small groups are so important. Because those needs are met the way the Bible has set it up to be met. We see it happening dozens and dozens of times over and over again. I alluded to a few of those last week. Single mom, car breaks down, has three kids, abandoned by her husband, needs a car. A small group rose up. A single small group rose up and met that need. They raised the $5,000 that was needed. We didn't play a single part of that. Because a need was met. Because community was happening. People knew each other. They loved each other. And they took this process very seriously. You see, relational growth happens best together. And in community, we see these four things that, that show up in community. Burdens are shared in community. Galatians 6.2 says that, that we are to bear one another's burdens. Have you ever had a burden that was, that was taken by someone else and carried for you? Have you ever carried another burden for someone else? 
Maybe that's been done through the context of small groups. Maybe not. Maybe it's just the deep relationships that you have. Kindness is shown in community. Ephesians 4.32, the first part says, Be kind and compassionate and tender-hearted. Kindness is expressed. Forgiveness is given. It says there that forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians 3, it says, Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Once again, this thing called love, the gospel, it keeps showing up. And then peace is pursued in community. In Romans 14, verse 19, it says, Let us follow after things which make for peace and things by which we may build one another up in love. You see, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14 reminds us that the root of all of this is love. It says, Let all that you do be done in love. So that's the fruit of community. And relationships. These things. Burdens being shared, kindness being shown, forgiveness being given, and peace being pursued. These are all things that we see. We see that they were devoted to relational growth. But it doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up and grow relationally. It's something that you have to strive for. It's something that you have to go after something that you have to pursue. So are you growing relationally? Are you in koinonia with other believers? We think it's important. That's why we've set up our small groups the way they are. They're not perfect. They never will be perfect. There's always something that needs fixed. There's always something that's broken. But we believe what Acts 42 or Acts 2, 42 through 47, and Acts 4 lay out for us, are enough for us to work on. You don't have to take my word for it. This is Lori's story. So this is our real first experience with a small group. Um, and when Brittany had come to us a few years ago asking us to lead one, I had no clue what we were getting into. It was sounded intimidating, and I thought, I am not equipped for this at all. Um, but it is just amazing when you let go of those fears and know that this is about God, and this is about community in Him, you get past a lot of that. So we went through having no clue what we were doing, um, just feeling like ill-equipped to loving this. I can't imagine life without small group, um, the people in it, and just the community that we have is wonderful. Life would be really different without small group. In some aspects, it might be easier in that we'd have our an extra night out of the week to do whatever we wanted or not have to put our kids to bed so early um, or different service project type things that we do, not have to find a babysitter for. All of those sacrifices that you make for it are so worth it. Without our small group, we just wouldn't be, we wouldn't have that community. I look forward most to being able to connect with people um, and just having the community, having time that we can come together and just talk about life um, and then digging into God's word. I mean, that's what it's all about. And just growing in our faith together um, has been really, really neat to do with people. I love our small group. Um, they have grown to be our people that we go to for everything. Um, it's just been a, a place where you can just be real. I mean, it's we're doing life together. We're coming every Thursday night and gonna be able 
to dig into God's word together, to grow in our relationships. Um, our group is super chatty um, and it's been great. So we spend about the first hour or so just talking about life um, before we really dig into the scripture and the sermon. Um, but that's been so good for us. We're just growing in our relationships. Um, we're at the beginning of all this. We kind of knew people, but didn't really know them well. Um, and like I said, there are people. These are the people that we call um, whenever hard times are coming up. Um, they're the people we call when we've had blessings and, and great times. Our small group has had a huge impact on our life. Um, honestly, I just can't imagine doing life without these people, but um, we've had some hard things come up. Uh, times where our son was sick for a while, um, where I had heart surgery. Um, I can't imagine going through those things without our small group um, because we had people that were right there praying for us, um, that prayed over us during those times. And then also all the times that we've had um, where there's been really good things going on, um, they've been there to celebrate with us. It impacts your every day. Um, I mean, these are just the people that I go to for anything and they know that they can do the same with us and the other people in our small group. People should be in a small group for the community. It takes a little bit to get used to the people in your group, especially if you don't really know them before. But as you get comfortable and open up and build in those relationships, um, they really become your people. I mean, it's who you do life with, it's who you connect with. Um, and then on top of that, digging into God's Word together with brothers and sisters in Christ and digging into what we learn about in, from the sermon and how we can apply these things and how we can talk to other people about Jesus far outweigh anything that could make you not want to be in a small group. If you're not in one, get in a small group. Get plugged in. Um, you won't regret it. Honestly, what surprised me about being in a small group is just how much I love it and how I can't imagine life without it. Well, I don't know if you picked up on that phrase. I can't imagine doing life without these people. Because here's what we know. Relational growth happens best together. So don't just take my word for it. Read your Bible. Talk to Lori. Talk to the other 60 plus percent adults sitting in this room who are involved in this type of togetherness. It matters. And that's why it is at the top of our priority list at this church. And it's going to continue to be. So will you pursue the things that we talked about today? Will you be devoted to growing relationally? If it's not in the context of small groups, what will you do? Will you make relational growth a priority? Because it's biblically required. Will you devote yourself to having one heart and one mind? unified around the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ? Will you devote yourselves to prayer together in community? And will you devote yourself to sharing your life with each other? It is my prayer that you will consider it. It is my hope that you will be inspired to consider it throughout this series. I hope that you will take your spiritual and your relational growth Seriously. Now, if you have a great reason for not being involved in our small group ministry, then I suppose you've got a wonderful plan for how you're going to make all of those things happen. But there are people who need you, 
and people that you need. So will you give small groups a chance? Because relational growth happens best together. If you'd like to talk to someone about small groups, what they are, how they function a little bit more in detail, you can do that through mywhbc.com forward slash small groups, or you can stop out at Next Steps and sign up through our Next Steps area as well. Well, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity that we've had to gather together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, as your body, we come to you through the truth of being of one heart and one mind, unified around your truth, your gospel, your life. So we're thankful for the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and the example that he set and the life that he lived. God, help us to pursue him with all that we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.